We wanted to do this, and I, I hope that you're finding your life verse because we're encouraging Creeksiders to either find one or declare one that they maybe already have. This is a verse, when we talk about a life verse, it's one that, that uh, we choose personally. It's our own. We kind of, uh, my life verse, what I've done in the past is literally I've rallied my life around it. If I was to take one piece of scripture and build my life around it, that's what it's, it's been. It gives me hope. It encourages me. It challenges me. It builds my faith. It establishes inspiration for my daily life. Now, you may have a life verse, and maybe, you know, you only have it for three weeks or three months or three years. I've had mine for 38 years. See, it was 38 years ago when I I turned 19 that Trina's mama gave me my second Bible, and in it uh, had this verse that I'm going to talk about today. And from the time I read that on the inside of the Bible cover, it just simply resonated with me, and it kind of went like 3D and just really moved me in a lot of ways. And for 38 years, uh, I suppose it's been my game changer and my go-to verse just for my spiritual life. Now, listen, the Bible doesn't say, you know, thou shalt find a life verse. I mean, it's not like some kind of sacred thing we're doing. But we do hope, and I hope, you know, our, our, our appreciate our staff doing such a great job. The, the pastors, didn't you appreciate what they did? And uh, just wonderful. And, and I hope that you're picking up some of the flavor of how those life verses can really be foundational to your life and help you build. Because see, Hebrews 4.12 says this, that the word of God is active. It's, it's like a sword. It's sharper. It cuts to the, to the marrow, to the inner places of our life. It's like a surgical tour that comes, a tool that comes in, a scalpel that really just kind of begins to cut away and cut into things in a very healthy, healing way. And so that's why these verses become so important because as I'll share with about mine, it really produces, it's given me life and health and hope and strength and inspiration. And what we're asking people to do is once you determine what your verse is, write it down on a card. Maybe it's a fancy card that you have, or maybe you take the one out of the program there and write it out and bring it back in the next few weeks. We just want to compile them. I'm not sure what we're going to do with them. It depends how many we have, but we want to compile them and, uh, and just kind of log them and find out what the, what the verses are that are really speaking to people's hearts and to their lives. You can say, well, man, I... How do I find one? Well, in the Bible, there's 31,102 verses. So I figure that you can probably find one out of there. So why don't you just take the next week and just kind of work your way through those 31,000 verses, and I'm sure you can find one. But if you would, write it down and put your name on it and bring it to us. Uh, This series is important to me because I was really looking forward to sharing mine. My verse has been really, really catalytic and instrumental in my life. Many of you are aware of the story of my early years, and this verse becomes this constant reminder of how Christ oversaw and had his imprint on this little guy's life from the time that I was grown up, going through some pretty cataclysmic experiences, having three different families by the time I was 17. There came this point where I realized because of this scripture that God had his hand on me, he had his imprint on my life. There was a season of time, shortly after, I think it was my second year here, where I'd had the honeymoon time, 
and uh, the, the wheels kind of started falling off in some areas of this place, and, and I was ready to just kind of cash it in and say, I'm done. If this is what church is going to be like, I'm just going to drop kick it to the side. And there was two things that kept me here. One of them was this verse. It simply called me back and reminded me of one thing, that God wasn't done with me yet. And that's the power of these verses. Some of you maybe have received a note from me in the last year or some a year and a half, I can't remember what it is, but you'll see on there, my scripture, I always write that. You know why? Because not only is it powerful for me, but I write it to you because I hope you read it and that it kind of blows some wind in your spiritual sails, where it begins to build you and you begin to say, yes, I can believe for God doing that in my life. So let me give you the context. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1, that's where we're going to find my verse. Paul's writing from a prison cell, and he's, he's preaching Jesus, and he's going around and starting churches. And so he's thrown in prison because of this. He's in a Roman prison. And so because he's in prison, I think that maybe God may have allowed these prison terms to happen so he could write the Bible, because a lot of the New Testament that he writes is actually written from prison. But he was such, a, such an A personality, such a leader, that he probably wouldn't have written much of this if he didn't have the time spent in prison doing it. So get this, he's in prison. He's isolated from people. He's isolated from the church that he loves. He's isolated from the churches that he has started. And what's he doing? He's writing a book, the book of Philippians. It's about joy. What's amazing about Paul is he never talks about himself. He doesn't sit there and say things like I would say, like, hey, would you pray for my release? Would you help me get out? Listen, this is unfair. I can't believe it. I've given my life to the things of God, and this is how I'm paid back. There's not even a hint of that in this book because he's writing to encourage these people. And this is the Apostle Paul. See, we think that he has some kind of this, oh, he's way up here, and he is, and he's, he's done a lot of great things for God. But this is the guy, man, he was, he was stoned and left for dead on a number of occasions. He was shipwrecked. He was rejected. He was jailed many times. On one of his last shipwrecks, he's on, he's, he gets on this island, and there's these people around, and he wants to start a fire. So he helps him start a fire. He starts pulling some wood out, and he gets bit by a, by a viper. And these people are expecting him just to fall over and die. Guess what happens? God heals him, begins to start a mini revival. Now, if I'm Paul... All of these things happened to me in the course of my ministry. I'm going to be thinking, what in the, how can, what, how can this go on? But Paul understands something, and you see it because it really, it's threaded through this whole book of Philippians. The whole thing that takes place here is very powerful because you see Paul understands one significant thing, and it's this, that God is up to something. God is up to something bigger and better and grander in his life then he can even understand. It's a very keeping thought when you and I go through life's inequities. It's really a keeping thought when we face things that we think are unfair and maybe we shouldn't face. But I want to tell you something, and Paul is a classic example, but it's important that as you get into this journey or maybe you're far along in this journey in walking with Jesus, that you never forget these two things. God doesn't have favorites. He has sons and he has daughters, but he doesn't have favorites. 
And it's so easy. I see so many Christ followers that they'll sit around and they'll look at what Bobby has or what Sally has or what Susie has or what some other family has and they'll go, oh yeah, God really loves them. No, that's not true at all. It doesn't mean that God loves them more. I don't know how God works, but I do know this. He doesn't have favorites. And at the point that you begin to think that he does, that's probably because you're diminished in how your perspective is of what God has for you. And that becomes a very toxic place spiritually. Secondly, understand this. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. There just aren't. There's a price to pay. There's a discipline to develop. There's a process to go through. Because people look around and go, wow, how come they rise up? And how come they do this? It's probably because they're not taking shortcuts. A lot of people who continually struggle and don't move forward, it's because they get stuck because they don't want to change and they don't want to engage in what Christ has for them. And that's what this series really too is about. It's about being challenged. Allow your life verse to challenge you forward, to call out the best in you because of what Jesus has for you. So let me read my verse. It's not a long one. It's Philippians chapter one, verse six. It's in the context. Now remember, Paul's in jail. He's writing. He's in a Roman jail cell and he's writing to the church at Rome. And this is what he says to them. And this is for me. And this is for you. He says, I am confident of this, that he who, Jesus, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I learned it in the New American Standard that it says this, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that word confidence. Isn't it true? Don't we all need confidence? I remember growing up and and, and, in some of the things that I was doing, I was a little bit overconfident, kind of arrogant, confident, But that was only a couple of things in my life because in most areas of my life, I lacked a lot of confidence because of my background, because of how I grew up. And I love the fact that I can be confident of what God is doing in me. Because see, growing up, there were these times when I thought, am I destined to live as I was growing up as a young boy? Is this the best that it's going to be? Am I basically going to have to go through the same thing because this is what I learned. This is what I knew. This is what I grew up in. Grew up in. I said, oh God, I don't want that. I want something better. I want something grander. I want to be able to make a difference. And it was shortly after that I received this Bible from Trina's mama that, that as I really understood this verse, it began to click. Yes. God has had his hand on me. He has started something in me. And he was already stirring up these things within me that said, I want to engage and help and minister and give life to people, make a difference. And in this verse, the first thing you see, it says, Christ began a good work. There was a past. There was a starting point. And Paul notes these two critical bookends here because he says Jesus began. And whatever he began, this is critical, whatever he began, he will complete. But there must come a time in each of us where we not only understand that, but we really become convinced that because God, Jesus has started something in me, guess what? He loves me enough that he's gonna finish it. And hear me, loved ones, if you're not convinced of this, 
that because God started something in you, he'll finish you. If you're not convinced of this, you will struggle when you face issues in your life, failures or inequities that come your way. I'm really of the persuasion. Paul's gone through so much, he's writing to encourage and infuse joy into the spiritual sails here of the Philippian people, but I think he's tongue in cheek. (laughs) I believe this for them, but I also believe it for me. I don't want to sound real simplistic, but I really do believe this verse. I believe that God is sovereign in my life. Nothing controls, listen, nothing controls my destiny but God working in me and my choices to cooperate with him. You don't control my destiny. My wife doesn't control my destiny. My family doesn't control my destiny. And surely my past doesn't control my destiny. Because Jesus says, what I started in you, I am going to fulfill and bring to fruition if I cooperate with him. You study the life of Paul, and he's confident that God's work is going to be accomplished. But Paul also understands that he's got to make decisions. He's got to be involved. What's powerful that he shows us is that that when things are out of his control, when things are out of your control, when things are out of my control, guess what? They're not out of God's control. You know why? Because when you sign on with Christ... It's all about his works and his high purposes and his things, his life being worked through you. And I love that because when I read that, I said, wow, I'm not stuck in my past. Because see, Paul's writing here 10 to 12 years later when he had gone to Philippi, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. He had started this church. He'd led some people to the Lord, and then they started this church. And he's looking back and he's reminding you, remember 10, 12 years ago, what God started in that little group that we started with, he's gonna continue to work and bring it to fruition, bring it to fulfillment, his works and his purposes. Now hear the, kind of hear the language, the verbiage there, because it really comes out of the creation narrative. It's kind of a cosmological uh, uh, language that is used in there. If you go back to Genesis 1, let me read to you what the, what the opening of the Bible says. It's almost as if Paul is going back to show the power of this one that he's talking about. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we understand that the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, the Spirit, were all involved in this process of creation. Hebrews 1 tells us that it's Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that it's Jesus who is the exact representation of God who literally spoke the worlds into existence and he's the one that by his word upholds everything in place. In the beginning, God began something. What did he begin? Well, it says he began a good work. Verse 31 of chapter 1 in Genesis says this. And God saw all that he had made and created, and it was good. So we see here Paul using similar language from the creative narrative. And what I want you to see is sometimes we forget this awesome, creative God, this powerful God who spoke our cosmos, our universe into existence. And you'll see this picture up here. See, just this beautiful picture of the, of, of, of the universe, just a part of it taken with a Hubble telescope. See, our God, the one we're talking about, not just in Genesis, but the one in Philippians, it's his handiwork that created that. 
go to this next slide, and this is, it just reminds me again of the awesomeness of God. This was taken a few months ago in my, in my office at home when I'm up in the morning and reading and journaling and, and having coffee and just outside my window with my little iPhone, I just, I just took that. And I thought, that's my God. That was the one that I was meeting with that morning. Then on vacation, we went down to Pacific Grove for a few days and, and just take a picture of the ocean. For me, one of the most awe-inspiring thoughts is when I see the ocean, the power of it, the gravity of everything, how God keeps everything in place, the tides moving and going in and out, and just the, to hear and to see and to sense the power of this creative God that we serve. But today, to now, the present, guess what? God is at work. But he's at work in you and me. How awesome to think in those terms that God who made all of this is at work in each one of us. Listen, loved ones, just for a moment, allow that to sink in and to sink with your soul and allow it to establish some greater and deeper moorings of faith that this God who spoke everything into existence, he says, I am at work in you. I'm doing works in you, for you, through you. And I don't know about you, but when I really began to understand that, that birthed this incredible confidence in my life to do things I never thought I could do. That God has his hand on me. It all begins with Jesus and what he has done. Can I tell you something, loved ones? You and I are simply responders. I remember when my, my, my third mother and my daddy first, they were about ready to break, their marriage was about ready to break up and they started going to church and I started, and my dad made me go to church with them when I was 17, 16 and 17. The last place I wanted to go, people were weird. They were happy. They were raising their hands and they're singing. And then there's these three guys that whenever they saw me, I'd come in and, and they would give me this big hug. And I thought, that's really weird. You hardly even know me. But within a year, I started looking forward to it. But I began to see how God was using these things. And when I, for a year and a half, was running from God, I'd sit through church, slouch down, couldn't believe I was even there, hated being there. But the hounds of heaven, God sicked them on me. And every Sunday I would say no when there was an opportunity to respond. But then one Sunday, God didn't give up on me. And I love this verse because it reminds me, everything starts with Jesus and his grace and his love. I simply respond. It started in my past. But now hear me, we see these two bookends that Paul talks about. This past, this beginning point, and this ending point. But you know, sometimes we forget there's a lot in between that, don't we? I want you to see Christ. He's presently in work in your present life. It's in between the starting and the finishing that he promises to do. And every time I read this verse, it really does, it calls out the best of me. It reminds me, it gives me the clear marching orders that Jesus has for my life, that his work is ongoing. It doesn't cease. And he has these works for me. 
And while the verse that we read in, first, in, in Philippians 1, 6, it squarely puts the responsibility and the start on Jesus, Hebrews 12, chapter 2 also says that Jesus is the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. But there's this land in between that we have to be aware of. And we can't miss, loved ones, the responsibility that each one of us has to engage, to embrace God's purposes for our lives. There are works that begin because of our relationship with Jesus. If you read, read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, that God has created us, and he's created good works for us to walk in. Why? Because we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece, that he's continually shaping and working to fulfill his life and his purposes in and through. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, he said, work for the night is coming when you cannot work. There's going to come a day, loved ones, where history's going to have a period. There's going to come a day, friends, when your life is going to have a period, and guess what? You're not going to be able to do anything for Jesus anymore. He says, listen, I want you to be at work doing these works. We only have a short time to fulfill his life, his works, and his purposes through our, to glorify Jesus with this one and only little but significant life. I want you to see in this process, in this journey, me, you, each of us, we will come to these crossroads where we'll have to make decisions to engage in the process and to choose the way of the Lord or simply to choose our own way. Are we going to work out what God wants to work in? You say, well, pastor, I, you know, I don't know if that's really true. I mean, do, what am I really going to do? Well, let me read to you later in Philippians. That's why I love this book because everything is so tied together. One instance Paul says in chapter 1 Listen, what Jesus started, he's going to finish. But then he gets to chapter 2, and in verse 13, he says this. But what I want you to do now is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That word fear there, you know, we go, wow, are we supposed to fear God? It means to have a phobia. The literal word there is phobia, phobias. And it means to have a phobia about this thing walking with God, a sobriety, where you're taking this life with God seriously. It doesn't mean you walk around like you're sucking on lemons, you know, you got this prune face or anything. But it means that you take it seriously. And you work out what God is working in. Why? Because he has put some works in your life. See, this idea of work out, it's the idea of a field or working a field or working a mine. In each of those cases, there are benefits followed when a person diligently takes care of that field. If you take care of the field, you'll yield crops. If you take care of a mine, it will, it will yield valuable elements or ore or whatever you're going for. But there's diligence that has to be involved. Hear me. Some people disagree with this statement. That's all right. A lot of Christ followers get sidetracked for this reason. Because they believe that grace does everything. Grace starts everything. Grace, Titus 2 tells us, gives us the ability to say no and to do right but it doesn't do it for us. And sometimes a lot of Christ followers, when they start hearing about grace, they think what it means is just sit back and let God do everything. Are you kidding me? 
Paul doesn't let that happen. You just go to chapter three and what he say? He says, you run the race, you press on, you move forward, you do what you need to do. He says, here, work out what God has worked in. It is, loved ones, hear me, a cooperative effort. You mean I gotta white knuckle it and do everything? No, no, I'm not saying that either. But there's an understanding in this passage of your responsibility, my responsibility to work out, not work for. We're not working for salvation to get into relationship with God, but because we have a relationship with him, what are we doing? We're working out those things that he has poured into us. And it is this process, it is the life of Christ working in us that empowers us to diligently work out what he is working in. He's not going to ask you to do anything that he hasn't empowered you to do. Why? Because he says, I want you to do this for his pleasure, for his will, for his glory, for a meaningful life. And each one of us, loved ones, has to determine if this work of Jesus in our lives is all about me, 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 or him. Where do most people get in trouble? It's because the world is theirs and they believe it revolves, evolves or revolves around them. That's when people struggle. Instead of saying, you know what, I need to give my will over and to follow what Christ is doing in me. They say, no, 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 no. It's my way. I'm gonna do it my way. I'll figure this thing out. I've been around 40 years. I can do it. And so the world revolves around them. Why do you think you have road rage? I won't ask how many have it (laughs) or embrace it or get involved in it, but why do you think you get road rage? It's because that's your world and that person should be out of your way or that person shouldn't be so stupid to do what they did. They don't have that right. Stupidity is a right too, you know. I mean, it's not a good right, but it's we've got it. How about your spouse? You know why so many marriages struggle? It's because it's all about your world, my world. Well, pastor, you know what? You just don't know that person I live with. I mean, they're just a bowl full of crazy, you know? And I'll tell you what, God can't deal with them. They're a bowl full of, are you kidding me? God knows where we come from. God knows how we are. As one pastor said it this way. Listen, if you think about God, Jesus, it says in Ephesians 5, he gives us the model for marriage, doesn't he? He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ, as Jesus loved the church. Can I just tell you something? This room is filled with a bunch of bowl full of crazy brides to Jesus. We do crazy, stupid things, don't we? And we wonder, how could I do that? And what does Jesus do? He goes, yeah, how could you do that? But he's still right there in all of our craziness. Well, mine, I'm sure you're, you know, clothed in your right mind, but, 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 but Jesus, he's so faithful. And if we would simply learn to work out what he wants to work in our lives, and we would say, the world isn't about me, my life is about him. Can I tell you something? Life would be so much easier, so much better. See, the Bible tells us that we're responsible for our, cho- uh, our choices. Romans 14, 12 says that each one of us is going to give an account of himself before God one day. 
Did you know if you buy yourself a little lab puppy and you train him up and you feed him and, and you take care of him, you pet him, you scratch him and you bathe him and you love him and you hold him and you train him to do tricks and roll over and fetch and all those things, he'll do that. He'll come to you, you whistle and he'll come and he'll do whatever you want and you have a good time with him. But you know, humans don't act like that, do they? We can't be trained that way. See, we're not part of that part of the animal kingdom. We're higher because the scripture is very clear. It says we are created in the image of God. We have resources. We have rights. We have abilities. We have ways of making choices. And all the time, loved ones, we make choices. Are we going to use our freedom to serve Jesus or not to serve Jesus? Are we going to use our freedom to obey Jesus or not to obey Jesus? See, one of the things we're Christ followers and people in general, you don't have to be a Christ follower, but where we get into so much trouble is we begin to believe we're victims, not victors. We begin to believe it's all about our works, not about the work that Jesus has started in us. See, we are not victims of our genes, of our environment. It's with the grace of Christ at work in us that we can choose to work through, rise above our circumstances, and not sit there and live below them. That's one of the greatest truths that my life verse brought to me. When I went to Bible college, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do other than play basketball. And somehow, Jesus, I got around all these spiritual people that drove me crazy because they talked so Christian easy, weird, drove me crazy. That's not because I was better. I just, I, I feel like I didn't fit in. And, and, and I begin to see Jesus saying, don't worry. I've begun something in you. It's different than everybody else. To this day, you know, don't take offense. I can't, I don't like all this phony, or maybe it's not phony, but this spiritual talk that, that you know, you, you, you talk a certain way and it's, it's weird. And Jesus said, when I, this verse, the Lord spoke to me and said, I've imprinted you with my life. And I begin to look around at my past and I go, wow, I see it. And so from that time on, I never used my past as an excuse for my present failures. There's two, there two twin girls. They were interviewed separately and they were questioned as to why one of them became a drug abuser and the other one became an abstainer. The first one said, well, you know, my mama was a drug addict and abused drugs, so what would you expect? Second girl, they asked her the same question and she said, well, you know, my mother was a drug abuser and she said she didn't use drugs and she said the same thing. What would you expect? See, loved ones, it's all a matter of perspective. When Jesus is at work in your life and you're walking out the works that he wants to do, you can move forward. Many use their past as an excuse for their present plight. That's the reason so many people never move forward. They become bitter and they become toxic spiritually. They get stuck. Paul, like each one of us in this room, had a past. Paul was a murderer. He abused people. He was a religious person. And God plucked him up and said, I'm going to change you. And guess what? It was Paul that wrote a polemic against religious legalism in the book of Galatians. Hear me, loved ones, because some of us need to hear this today. Each of us is imprinted by our past, but we are not imprisoned by it. Why? 
because Jesus is doing a good work in you. It is our responsibility to respond, to work with, to cooperate. So we've got the beginning. It all starts with Jesus. We've got the middle. We've got to cooperate with his works. But then there's Christ in completion. There's Christ at the end. Uh, do any, does anybody here have difficulty finishing projects? How many? A few of us? Yeah, I got to confess. I, uh, if you went into my office, I've been here going on 23 years now, and um, there's a lot of accumulation of stuff. I am not a hoarder. I get rid of stuff all the time, but I can't clean out my offices. I got magazine, I got periodicals, I got books, I, got, I just got papers, and I'm sure I'll use them for something sometime. But it's taken me two years, and it's still not done to clean my office. Now, you guys are going, hoarder, hoarder, I'm not. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of room in there, but I just, it's not like what I'm used to. And I'm just not good at completing that project. This is what I love about Jesus. He says he's a completer. He promises that he's going to complete. Notice that word that he used, perfect or complete, in some of your uh, translations. Flash back to the scene of the cross where Jesus is crucified. He's hanging. See the Savior lifted up as the sacrifice, paying for the sins of the world, paying for the sins of you and me. Remember, he made seven short statements, and they call them the the last seven words of Christ. What was his last one? Tetelestai. What does it mean? Translated, it means it is finished. Jesus said that what I have done, I am now dying for the sins of the world, and it is finished for everyone, past, present, and future. Again, Paul is tying in this continuum of space and time where Jesus works in our lives. But telos, it's the root uh, Greek term. It's the same root word that is used here for perfect. And Paul is saying, just like you can bank on the finished work of Christ on the cross, you can be convinced that he's going to finish you. And you know what? That will produce incredible confidence in your life as well as joy. He finished his work for me on the cross. How can I do any less for him? And this scripture continually brings me back and reminds me of that. That's good works. Get going, boy. Now let me tell you a a little dark side of the dark side of my soul at different times in my life. There are times I've been tempted where I've literally wished I could escape what God's called me to do so I could do whatever I wanted. And I could. Or I could just go, just do whatever I wanted to do when I wanted to do it where there would be absolutely no accountability to God or to others. There have been times when I felt like I'm in a little bit of jail and sometimes at the highest octane seasons of stress and pressure in what I do, it's made me just want to run. It seems sometimes like the pressures are unending. 
It feels like I've got to perform and produce. And, and please, I'm not telling you, don't feel sorry for me. This is past stuff. But it's, it's stuff that I have felt in dark nights of my soul where I simply wanted to say no to all commitments. I didn't want to focus on anything. I didn't want to have to do anything. I didn't want to have to take on somebody else's issues or problems or difficulties. I didn't want to have to make the hard calls that make a person mad. And I didn't want to have to make the hard calls that would make half a church mad and not understand the reasons behind it because you couldn't go into it publicly. I just wanted to say drop kick the church. Not this church, just the church in general and go do do my own thing. You're going, Trina lives with a bowl full of crazy. <laughs> but it's true. And I'm sure some of you have felt that too. You just want to go out, you just want to just want to do whatever you can do that you could never do. But this verse, this verse won't let me do it. It's been my life verse for 38 years. It kept me here after our second year. The stanza comes out where it says, until the day of Christ Jesus. See, while those have been some of the things that I've felt in my past, can I tell you what my focus is right now? Until the day of Christ Jesus, the focus of my life and my ministry is to finish strong. And to finish well, because see, I work with pastors, I work with churches where churches are dying, where pastors are dying, and, they're di- and their churches are dying with them. And I don't want to be a part of taking a church down. I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to do something stupid, I don't want to indulge myself, because Jesus says, I am going to finish you. But i got to cooperate, i got to work with that, i got to live with that understanding and in that empowerment. reason this scripture means so much to me for I'm confident of this very thing Terry that because I've begun a good work in you I will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus it's because I know what he began in me and I know what it cost him it keeps me going when it gets difficult it keeps me going when I want to quit it's his grace that drives my daily actions and the understanding that not only will I stand before Jesus someday, but so will you. So will the people that I come in contact with. This verse is like a slap alongside of the head for me someday. Some days it encourages the snot out of me, and some days it goes whack. Well, what do you mean? See, it brings me back to this truth. Jesus is committed to me until I die or he comes and gets me through the rapture. And Paul says later in this book, in chapter two, he says, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will say, Jesus, your Lord. It's an incredible reminder for me today that it's not about me. It's about this world, people coming to Christ. And I'll just tell you, that's so easy to forget, isn't it? Just this last week, we had our little, 
grandson, who's almost five, come over and when he was a baby until he's probably about two years old, there wasn't a time that he left our home that I didn't lay my hands on him and pray for him. For probably the last year and a half, I've probably periodically laid hands on him and prayed for him. Now he's, you know, he's a big boy, he's running around and blah, blah, blah. And he left the other day and I said, honey, I said, you know what? We've got to, we are his spiritual tether. Because his mom and daddy aren't coming to church. And I said, we've got to figure out a way to get him to church. It's It's really difficult because of sleeping patterns and our schedule on Sundays, but I says, we got to work and see if we can do it more consistently. And I got to, every time he leaves my presence, this papa has got to lay hands on him and pray for him. I have one regret with our sons. One regret. A lot of things I couldn't control and I don't take response. I just, there's one thing I would do differently. And I told Trina, we got to start doing this. One thing I would do, and this is free, but if I had kids again, and with our grandson, I'm going to start doing it, I'd do two things. I'd pay them to read books that I gave them to read. And I'd pay them good money, because then I'd make them do a little, just walk through it with me on it. And secondly, I will pay them, I would pay them to memorize scriptures. Because remember I told you the second Bible I got? You want to know what the first Bible was I got? It was from my second grade Sunday school teacher, Ardella Morris at Oregon City Four Square. She made me memorize scriptures. John 14, one through six, and some others, but I could still quote you John 14, one through six. And I believe that that seed of the word that's active and alive is part of the reason why I'm doing what I do today. I've got a brother-in-law that I gotta spend a week with, love him. But I gotta ramp up my prayers for him. I gotta ramp up prayers for my neighbors. Because everybody's gonna face Jesus. And the good work, loved ones, that we have is not to preach at people, but to be available. So here's the question, how are you doing? Is there a sense of urgency in your life for anybody? People you love, people you care for that might be far from God? Is it on your radar? Because see, God has started good works in every one of us. And I loved, I've just heard, to just you know, been here back for a couple of days, and just people have been sharing stories with me of what Jesus is doing in their lives, and I go, oh, thank you, Lord. But where are you? Is there something of the life of Jesus compelling you and pulling you back to never let you forget? That's what this verse does for me. Never lets me forget how he's dealt with my past, working in my present, and I've got this future. See, later in chapter one, Paul says this. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And while I want to be with you, he's talking to the church. He says, I don't know if I want to be with you, if I want to die and be absent from you, because when I'm absent from you, I'll be with Jesus. I was talking to another story I got just after second service. Jane 
Warfer was telling me she does audio work and she had an older, older gal come in uh, last week. Found out that she was actually a Holocaust survivor. And as she's talking to her, somehow it come up that she, uh, had, that the gal rolled up her sleeves and actually showed her the tattoo, the, the markings of the number. Jane said, I just started weeping, started crying. And if you know Jane, as she would say, she's not a very emotional person. But I think most of us would kind of feel that because we understand what took place. But let's rewind it 1,900 more years. What's going to happen five seconds after you die, three seconds after you die, a nanosecond after you die? You know what it is? You're going to stand before this God this incredible God that we sometimes forget created everything, the cosmos, the universe, the solar systems. You're going to stand before him. You're going to see him for the first time. This God that loved you so much, he sent his only son to die for you. And he's going to look you in the eye. And you're going to see him for the first time in all his love and glory. And then you're going to just turn to the left, the Father's right. Guess who you're going to? You're going to see Jesus. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see his hands and you're going to see the marks. You see his feet. You're going to see the marks. And all of a sudden, it's going to hit you. Whoa. That was for me. That's why I'm here. And then you're, it's possible. I'll probably think this. Oh, God. Thank you for not letting me get off track and running off and indulging myself doing what I wanted to do, thinking that I had the best way. Thank you that your works and your word compelled me to stay right here. That I didn't want to chase fortune and fame and frivolous lifestyle. Because on that day, loved ones, when we stand before him, it's going to be real. It's going to be the real deal. And there's going to be an awesomeness that you'll realize. What does this verse do? It calls out the best in me. It keeps me coming back. It won't let me get too far. It tethers me to the heart and the works of Jesus. Because of him, my story, your story, it isn't finished. He's still at work in human history. There is a space-time continuum. We see it in the book of Genesis to Revelation. We see it in Paul's little verse right there, chapter 1, verse 6. He began it. He's going to end it. And I love that because that's the greatest hope I have and greatest confidence in my life and in your life and for this church right now. He is taking every one of us somewhere and his imprint, the fingerprint of God is on my past, it's on my present, and I know it's gonna be on my future. Aren't you glad about that? You need encouragement? That's what this verse does for me. That's what I wanted to do for Creekside. I wanted to do it for you. I can rest in that confidence that when I lose control, God's still in control. When I don't know where I'm going, he's still gonna lead me. Hear me. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you, 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 guess what? He's going to complete it.